0: You're at your old trusty boat, you call Mighty Sparrow, I'm in the city of Mardi Gras. Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Good night, everybody. I say that because this is coming to you from about two in the morning. Uh, woke up from a crazy dream. Uh, About sailing and about risk and about reward and all this sort of stuff and figured, you know what, I'm not going back to bed anytime soon. I don't know if anybody's ever had one of those vivid dreams that sort of shakes you, but uh, I just had one and so I figured I'd get right on. Now I also double dipped a little bit. I did this as a live stream, uh, but I tried to stay on point and not get into comments and questions and things like that. Believe it or not, people actually watch this thing. Uh, At that time. And uh, so I was really trying to keep it more podcast oriented. But towards the end, I started to uh, get into some of that. So it's a bit of a, I don't know, uh, back and forth a little bit. But in any event, it's an oddball. uh, But it was something I figured it would be worth sharing some of this information and my thoughts on. So uh, we'll get into that. And then there's a little update about the Golden Globe. So. Without further ado, we'll get into it, but as I always have to say, if you want to support the show, and many of you do, which I absolutely can't thank you guys all enough, it's just absolutely amazing, uh, you can head over to Patreon, the link will be in the description, and if you want to reach out to the show, questions, comments, all that sort of stuff, just head over to sailingintooblivion.com and click the podcast button, and it'll take you right to where you can write me an email, and I'll get right to it. I know I have a few that I need to get to, but uh, right now I'm working and doing all this other stuff and uh, I will be getting to them this weekend. So hopefully we can do a questions podcast coming up. Uh, But other than that, thank you everybody so, so much for all the support and uh, really appreciate it and uh, loving doing this podcast. So here we go into risk and reward sailing around the world. Good morning in the early, early a.m. This is crazy. It's, uh, just about 2.25 in the morning or so, 2.30. And, uh, woken up out of a absolutely crazy, crazy dream and pretty much just 100% got me up and out, uh, Oh, and just wanted to because it it was the I don't want to sit here and describe my dream because I don't think there's anything more more boring than that. But uh, the gist of the whole thing was essentially that uh, I was hanging out with one of my friends and then he gets a phone call and it's somebody who is deathly concerned about me going out to sea. And this is something that I've dealt with. I don't know, Uh, pretty much, I don't want to say my whole life, but my whole life of solo sailing for sure. And essentially, you know, in this dream, I I ripped, because I can hear, I can hear what this person is saying. And essentially, it's like, you know, that I'm I'm rolling the dice and the odds are stacked against me. The more I do this thing, the more chance I have of having it uh, turn out really badly. And essentially, you know, uh, being overtaken and then, and sunk and lost. But I, I eventually in this, in this dream, I rip the phone right out of the guy's hand and, uh, I get him on the horn and I start telling him why, why I think it's worth it to go out there and, and all that sort of stuff. And what the, you knowing the risks still sort of, uh, wanting to live my life in, in a certain way, in a certain direction and, not foregoing safety by any means, but, uh, taking a calculated risk, at least, uh, that's how I sort of, <clears throat> well, anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm basically, and I'm, I'm not being mean to the person, which was kind of nice, actually, to, say, to tell you the truth. If subconsciously in your dreams, you're even trying to, to be respectful to, uh, another entity, uh, who's trying to tell you what to do. I don't know. I think that says a lot about a person <laughs> deep down inside, maybe. Uh, but so essentially, I'm I'm talking about you know um, life and and how how you want to live it and the difference between just sort of mulling through and and going through life and and trying to be as safe as possible and live as long as possible and avoid death at all costs as possible. I think there's nothing wrong with that. And I think, I think there is definitely a part of human nature that essentially says, you know, Hey, um, you probably want to just protect yourself at all times and strive to survive sort of instinct. I think they, Talk about that with the <clears throat> the whole lizard brain thing, but I I think that's more about fight or flight uh, sort of stuff. But, mm, oh, that coffee's good. I'm gonna be regretting it. I was thinking about, you know, get up, do do this, and then uh, and then try and get back to bed. But I have a feeling that this one, hopefully, we can go on for for a while because I've got a few points. And if I can do that, then uh, it'll probably already be getting close to uh, light time, and then maybe I can sort out a couple of things before <clears throat> going to work. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, I, mean, I was literally just asleep maybe ten minutes ago, and uh, <laughs> I don't know. It is what it is. Mm. But. <clears throat> It was kind of fortuitous, and who knows? Maybe, maybe this lunch I had with uh, with my new friend Jim the other day, and he and I spoke at length, or as, as long as you can in a thirty minute lunch break. Uh, but we spoke about how how you know a lot of people do really, and it's sensible that we try to. Be in a safe and secure environment as much as possible. The vast majority of us do. But every once in a while there are sort of outliers to that, myself included, that get for some reason it in their head that they want to go out and they want to do certain things that... Are way out of the safety zone uh, just to go out and experience them and see what they're like. I mean when I think about why I went and did my trip around the world and even in the, the beginning pages like the intro of my book I talk about that I still have no idea why I went and I don't think that's quite true anymore and maybe it just comes down from down to old age or more time to ponder this subject uh, or being questioned about this subject by people. So there's a lot of uh, thinking that goes back into it. It's not like you go and do something like that and then you never think about it again. And the fact that I'm still, you know, I spend quite a lot of time alone. Uh, you know, your brain is twisting around and, and you start thinking about stuff. So I think one of The biggest draws for me initially was just the fact that I was being inspired and I was reading about these guys that went and did this thing and tried to get it going and uh, make it all the way around the world solo and nonstop back in the 60s. And I'm reading these books and doing these yacht deliveries and I'm enjoying being out there. Um, and it just, what, what I think question the questions that kept popping up in my head is how, how does it feel after you've been alone at sea for a month? And then what does it feel like after three months and six months and even nine months and not only the alone part, but what does it feel like to be on the cusp of entering a place like the Southern ocean down in the South Atlantic And know that you have to go underneath Africa before even getting into the Indian Ocean and trying to deal with all of the dangers and the risks that that lie in that ocean alone. And then how do you, you know, how do you feel about uh, the fact that you still need to go underneath another continent and then the vast Pacific down to a place called Cape Horn that is basically the graveyard of the ocean? and. Those questions in my head mixed in with probably a, a a healthy dose of respect and awe for the stories of these guys that could go down there and, and tried this. Um it just it was something that lit a fire inside of me and a passion for I don't know, just trying to get out there and do it. Um that that I was never even close to extinguishing without actually going out and going through that action and doing it and and I just you know it it was something where it was the focal point of of how um of how actually just to oh man it's it was like the focal point of of uh jeez, I'm getting lost in the weeds on this one <laughs> uh it's it's a tough subject to uh, all right let me let me drop back a little bit so you're sitting there and you're fully inspired you're in awe you're listening to these stories, and then you're also in a situation where you're you're slowly developing these tools about. Doing these activities and even though I was on these boats and there were other people on them You know when you're doing yacht deliveries, you're typically doing watches by yourself So for hours, you know through the night or during the day You're the only person up and awake and so you do get this tiny teeny little taste of what it feels like to be a solo sailor and I can remember plenty of times being on watch and just being glad that no one else was around. And I had the boat to myself. And I was in charge of it. And there was really. I, I remember one instance. On the first transatlantic that I ever did. Going across from. Uh, we went from Antigua over to Spain. and uh, the, Or the Spanish islands in the Mediterranean. And we had actually passed through Gibraltar. And we were headed up towards these islands. We had a couple of days left. And there was one like dog watch, you know, basically. I think it was the 3 to 6 a.m. watch and I'm up there by myself and we had been motoring for a while. And I'd been on this trip already for almost 30 days and I'm up there alone and then the wind starts to come up and I went and normally I would have gone down and and sort of woke up somebody to come up and help and set all the sails and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, I had been on the boat for so long at this point that I could do it. And truth be told, it had power winches, and things like that. So that was, you know, a little bit of a benefit. But in any event, as this wind picks up and, you know, the half light is sort of in the sky, there's not a lot of traffic around. And I ended up Setting the full main, the staysail and the full Genoa. Because it was only about a five, six knot breeze. And there was no, it was just flat calm. And then suddenly shut that engine down. And now we're in the Mediterranean. I think I was probably like 23 years old. In the med, we're sailing. We get just a little bit of heel on. There's silence. The boat is just absolutely loving it. And it was something that I had done sort of all all by my onesie, uh, as Jack Sparrow would say. And it felt absolutely amazing to sort of just manipulate this boat and this situation into this beautiful thing that I got to experience and to do it sort of all alone. There was sort of that, you know, hand on hip feeling of accomplishment of like, yes, look what I did. This is great. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, I'm, it, I'm capable of it. And I've I've felt that sort of thing in other aspects of sailing now that I do the vast majority of it by myself. um, Where, you know, you go through some really rough, ugly, ugly weather or you just go through some very uncomfortable weather as as in like you're just beating into, you know, choppy seas and you have to do it for day after day after day. And then you finally break free through that or the wind shifts and now you can crack off a little bit and reach away. And now things get comfortable. The boat's sailing fast and all that's going on. And when you make it through that ugly to get to that beauty, it really is uh, a spectacular feeling. And it one affects the other, I've always found. Like the uglier and crummier it is, that's way up here. Then even though it would only normally be like really cool to this level. Now, all of a sudden, it's cool to like that level way, way more because you had to go through what you had to go through to get there. And to amplify that even further is when you do that sort of stuff on your own, at least in my experience. And so I think once, you know, to sort of get back to. This this idea of of taking these risks and and heading out to sea and he, I besides like this crazy dream that woke me up and I you know the the funny part about this dream was the only thing I don't remember is how it sort of concluded uh, I sat there and I talked to this person t- telling them sort of all these reasons why why i do what i do and it's essentially what i'm talking to you guys about now but uh i don't remember how it uh, how it went i don't know if i was able to convince this person or not uh again this is all going in on inside of my head but uh (laughs) i don't know i don't know it was crazy but uh you know when you do have these 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 risks that is also where you have the rewards. And for me, again, these rewards are these feelings of accomplishment and feelings of, um, I don't know, proof of, of ability, I guess not to go proof of stake, proof of work, crypto, uh, (laughs) terminology, but in, in essence, you know, when you do go out and you cross an ocean, for instance, um, There's an amazing feeling that comes out of that, and there's a lot of risk that goes into that as well. I mean, if you cross the Atlantic Ocean, you're going to deal with some probably pretty ugly weather. You have to duck and dodge through plenty of ships and all sorts of stuff like that, and yet it's a doable, it's an attainable thing. People do it every year. Probably thousands of people do it. Um, Maybe not thousands do it alone, uh, but let's say a hundred do it alone. Maybe I don't know what the numbers are, Uh, but those risks are sort of calculated and you can you can hedge your bet, so to speak, against it. Um, I don't know if that's the right term or not, but essentially things like life rafts and grab bags and ensuring that the boat is really well cared for and ready for sea and the sails are good and all the work that goes into it. I mean, that's a way of sort of I, I don't. I don't want to say it shrinks down the risk because no matter how prepared a boat can be, it can never be more prepared than the ocean. You know, when it comes to a battle, um, the ocean will always win no matter what size ship you have. I mean, take it from the Titanic. Uh, there's just no going back from that one. But it's it's one of those things where you can sort of mitigate a little bit of that risk and give yourself a better chance when everything is really prepared and the boat is ready to rock and roll and take a serious beating. But again, that risk still stands. Um but then you get into that reward side of things of of I think I think the rewards are of of doing these sailing trips absolutely begins right then and there. The moment you start to make your way off into the horizon and away from land, because instantly I get this feeling of adventure, adventure on the horizon, as corny as it might sound. It's sort of one of those things where this overwhelming feeling kind of comes up over you and you're sort of like oh you're looking and the land is slowly disappearing and eventually it's totally gone and now you're completely out at sea and you're just feeling a hundred percent alive because you're in that moment there's really nothing else that matters at that point except for you and your little vessel and whatever the wind and clouds and waves are doing and it's really a way of of for me, it it shrinks down the whole scope of, of the world around me and all these problems that everybody hears about daily because we're all so connected and there's so much news and everything going around on us. And you push away from that or more appropriately, you sail away from that. And now you're in this world of just present. This is what's going on now. This is what I'm dealing with. And even though those thoughts of of you know what's it going to be like tomorrow or a hundred miles or out in the middle of the Atlantic or over how am I going to pull into you know France or something like that all these things can come up but you sort of I've always been able to sort of let those just like a feather floating down just whew, let that just simmer and then it disappears and you don't worry about it but those that reward of Being out there and being forced to deal with and focus on the present, I think is, is, you know, again, it's that, that scale right there of like, it's risky to take off on a boat uh, and head out because it hasn't, you know, if you've been tied to a dock or on the hard for a long time, who knows if that boat's going to sink, right? It happens all the time, but then you get out there and you start dealing with it. And then you get that reward of, Hey, I'm out here and I'm in it and it's, Forced upon me and now I'm living in the present which I think I think most people agree that that that's a better way you know you can you could live your whole life thinking about your past or live your whole life worrying about the future uh, or you could just join join the present moment and that's that's one of the things that I think these sort of taking on these risks is uh, at least in the adventure scope uh, is really really good for them. and then Um, you know, as you get out there, you start to feel accomplishment when you, you make it days and weeks and, and you're, you're out there and you're sort of going through different, different issues. And one of the big ones, and it it sounds almost counterintuitive, but when something breaks and something goes wrong on the boat, uh, Even though it's not a good situation by any means. And I usually feel actually pretty bad when this does happen. Because I feel like I've let the boat down in a way. But when this happens, then all of a sudden you have to get not only proactive, but very creative sometimes. Because you obviously have a very limited supply of things to be able to fix with or replace parts. And... So suddenly you're sort of thrown in this situation and again, I mean, it can be a bit of, uh, it's always a risk that you're going to break something, but it's almost always a fact too. You're just, it's going to happen on a sailboat. There's too many moving parts and there's too much force and too much this, that, and the other thing. Something's always going to break. So it is a bit of a risk as you sort of plan these voyages. But again, the reward is now all of a sudden you're forced into a situation where you have to get going you have to do a whole bunch of stuff, you have to get creative, you have to work hard, and you absolutely have to fix whatever the heck broke so that you can continue on and and keep going in your sort of your destination. Um sort of uh you just have to keep going. Yeah. I you don't know why I'm trying to like pontificate that out. Uh, that's crazy. Um and then obviously the, the biggest one is when you pull in. But this one, the end of any voyage is always a bittersweet thing that I've found. Um, because as I'm pulling in and all the things that are on my mind at that point, and And again, this is like the exact opposite of when you set out and now you're fully in the present. As you pull in, it's the only time I've ever been on a voyage where... I start considering everything else that's going to happen in the future. What it's going to be like to eat that hamburger. What it's going to be, what the beer is going to be. Um, how I'm going to pull into the harbor. I start to get these worries of like, oh geez, what if the weather turns and what if the engine doesn't work and all this sort of stuff. And for me, it's a great reminder of of how nice it is out there as opposed to... Uh, Having to sort of deal with the the real world, uh, or the world of I shouldn't say the real world because obviously they're they're both very real. Um, but it's I for me having spent so much time out there, uh, obviously there's a preference for for the uh, former and not the latter. Being when you're out at sea, it's a simple and uh, a very beautiful existence, and I think it can be on land as well. I'm not I'm not trying to get crazy like that, but It's just different. There's a whole lot of input coming in, uh, when I'm on land and sometimes it's a bit overwhelming, but so it's a little bittersweet for me, but you still have, you have this beautiful thing where you've, you've accomplished your goal and you're, you're pulling into the next port and you've made it, you've been out for a month or something like that. And so that definitely feels good. And all these things sort of, accumulate into the pile of excuses or rationalizations of why why I take the risk to then go out and put myself in this situation that I have to get myself out of. And maybe that is a big part of it as well, is that, that self-challenge of, you know, right now, in a lot of ways, uh, the world, I think, gives people the opportunity to not give up by any means uh i i don't want to sound like that but the world gives everybody the opportunity to be very secure and safe and live a very normal structured life that doesn't involve a huge amount of risk and uh also probably doesn't have a huge amount of reward uh case in point you know you can get a very very low stress uh type of job that just pays you enough. You can get a small apartment and you can probably take the bus and you can, you can just do that and you can work for somebody else and you can go and, and continue your life all the way until you're old, old, old. And then they'll even cut you a little bit of a check to be able to, to just keep, keep, keep going until you, you finally kick the bucket <laughs> and. I don't know. I mean, it, it, for some people that might be absolutely the best, you know, just having that security. I mean, I, I think if I was a really anxious person and I couldn't let the the worries of the world go and, you know, all that. And I know people like that. And uh, there's a, a, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. It's just the opposite side of that would be. I think that. uh you get this bug where the idea of going out and taking on the biggest challenges that you can and, and really adding such a, a element of risk and reward into your life. Suddenly you're going to have these ups and downs, but that is going to be an adventure in it in and of itself. And it just, I don't know. I've, I've found personally in my life that it, it, It has yielded just an immense amount of things to think about, things to share with people. That's probably one of the most surprising parts about coming back from even just the Appalachian Trail or the big trips around the world and all that is that people like to hear about it. And I know that it it definitely, there. I'll be honest, and there 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 is part of me that enjoys sort of that bit of attention, even though I typically will always get a little overwhelmed, uh, you know, if I'm in a big room and there's a lot of people asking me, firing away questions, um, there's a limit to how much of that I can take before I need to, like, recoil back into a corner and sort of escape. Um, but it is also, there is an ego thing there where it's kind of nice to have people, uh, in awe or, you know, tell me that they would never, ever do it, uh, do anything like that and all that sort of stuff. But in the in the essence, I think what I really enjoy about it is just bringing an experience back to people, uh, to everybody, anybody that wants to hear about it, and maybe just that small glimmer of hope that it might just inspire somebody else to get off the couch and go for it and, uh, and take on some sort of little semblance of a challenge. And it, you know, I've always told people that it, it never has to be the ultimate thing. Um, you know, even in my life, the first little adventures that I ever went on were little 15 and 20 mile biking trips just around, you know, around Petoskey, nothing big. Uh, but then we ventured off in our teenage years up to these camping trips up in the, uh, UP and up in Minnesota. And then those would be like 10 days and you're out in the woods and you actually have to be sort of self-sufficient. And, uh, if you don't bring something, then you don't have it cause you're in the woods now. And those sort of, I think were the initial spark of, of trying to, I don't know, challenge myself for these rewards because you'd be out there and you'd be in the most beautiful setting. You can't hear a car, there's no planes, there's nothing. You're just in these absolutely amazing woods. And that's the reward. And there's nothing else. There's nothing injecting itself into you and nothing like uh there's no ads. There's no none of it. and it's just this peaceful in the moment existence. But it's still, it's a risk, you know, you got to have your little first aid kit. You can fall, you can break your leg, you can get giardia, you can (laughs) bit by a tick with Lyme disease, who knows, mauled by a bear. There's plenty of risks out there. But again, if you want those rewards, because you can can read a book or you can watch a movie about being in the woods, but it's never going to be the same, you'll never feel really how how wonderful and how scary and anxious and crazy, but beautiful and amazing it can be when you get in those situations. And I don't know. I think, I think a lot of that was what, uh, Jim and I were talking about the other day at our lunch and how sharing that sort of stuff, is a very important part of when you go out and you you do trips like this. And so I think with like the podcast and with the live streams and the videos and all the stuff that I'm just trying to put out there, I'm hoping that this isn't some sort of like uh, purge before I set off to see on the next time knowing sort of uh, you get that feeling inherently inside of you that you're sort of like, boy, I don't know if I'm going to make it back off the next one. and I'm not trying to freak anybody out because I definitely would not head out to sea if I had a really bad feeling. I think I'm one of those people. If I really thought that there was a chance the plane was going to go down, like if I had that just crazy eerie feeling. Oh, I'd turn around. I wouldn't get on that plane. Uh, Now, if I'm already on the plane. And then I get a feeling like that, I'm not also going to be the freak Mo who, who's like, i got to get off the plane, open the door. Like, that's not happening. Uh, I, I kind of understand that, that that's probably more anxiety. But, you know, the night before, you have a crazy, vivid, insane dream. And I think that's kind of the nice part is it at least I know, I think I would have remembered it if in this dream I would have, uh, you know... For flash forward to I'm out at sea and then the boat goes down or something like that. And thankfully, I've never really had that. I've I've had dreams where the boat's sinking, but um, usually doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So so I don't know. It's pretty crazy. But, you know, and I I, I kind of think that possibly very much possibly inspiration, maybe what has uh, brought about some of these thoughts and these feelings lately, because The Golden Globe race took off the other day. And so these guys and gals are beating their way out in old timey boats, just like mine, without much technology, just like me. And, uh, with the goal in mind to sail all the way around the world without stopping and, uh, see if they can do it. And there is even a semblance of a a race involved to see who can actually do it fastest. I don't. It's the one race on this planet though that I kind of have the feeling most of the competitors um at least the first time competitors are just looking at it as the adventure. I don't I I can't I can't believe in my head that the average among them is just like I am gonna win this thing. The trophy is mine. I don't think it's that type of a uh, of race, and you know it's gonna be going on for the next like seven months or so because these boats are a little bit faster than old Sparrow. Typically, they're about four feet bigger and um, and a little bit newer. Sparrow's a '74, I think, and uh, most of these boats are a little newer than that, but. I don't know, it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting to watch, but I think it's already giving me a little itch where I was like, Oh, those guys all took off? Oh and I'm starting to check the weather a lot more and I'm seeing the weather patterns and whenever I look at these weather patterns, I'm always like right now, even in the Atlantic with the hurricanes out there, I'm sort of like, Ooh, oh if I was out there, if I was on that lower edge, whew, I could scream out to the east and get to the doldrums and I don't know, but the same time then i look around this boat and i'm like oh geez project 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 and uh i don't know uh, it's it's there's a lot there's just a lot of irons in the fire right now and i'm i'm hoping hoping to be able to uh put them all together over the next month and a half two months so that it will be once again my turn to uh head out to sea not for some grand crazy epic round the world voyage but that may be again in the future, just not yet. I've learned my lesson. If anything, I, uh, I like to take notes from my, uh, I don't want to say mistakes, but experiences. And, uh, that being said in that, in that frame of mind, the last two trips that I've tried to go on, I was trying to essentially put things together too quickly, uh, on too small of a budget and, um, without without having thoroughly gone through this boat the way that it really should have been done. Um, You know, there's, there can be, I think, a little bit of an overconfidence when you have a boat like Sparrow. Um, These West sails are just built so strong that you sort of just believe in them. And sometimes that can get you into trouble because it's really, um, I don't know, it it really is... uh, one of those situations where you're like, oh shit, yeah, it'll be fine, it'll be totally fine, you'll be all good, oh man. But uh, all right, holy cow, this is uh, wow. We've been on here for over 30 minutes. Click that when when I hear about and read about Bill King and his sort of adventures, uh, and well, not I don't want to. His adventures are crazy. He was a submarine guy. I mean, it was unbelievable, but. Him going through that storm in the South Atlantic that took out his mass, that has always made it so that I fear the South Atlantic like crazy Um, because I don't know if it's the weather patterns that are down there coming off the Andes Mountains, but I mean, he was in basically a fully blown hurricane. And there was the other competitor in that race who was in there as well, Motissier's friend. ended up dropping out after that and he wasn't even near where where um he was hundreds of miles away from from Bill King but I mean it was also one of those lessons when when Bill essentially as he told it I guess um he ended up finally getting into a point I think he was lying a halt and He just wanted, he needed to get some sleep. Uh, He'd been up for quite a long time. The seas were absolutely massive. At one point, he describes basically getting picked up by this wave and then seeing a seabird fly, you know, in the trough of the wave in front of him. And it's like 30 or 40 feet below. I mean, if that's not an epic scene, because the whole thing took place under the full moon. Which is absolutely amazing uh talk about risk and reward there i mean the i when, hey, and actually that that brings me to a good point well uh, with bill king though and then he goes down below and he's he's lying a haul so far it's been so good i I can imagine it was probably really scary because you're getting just absolutely walloped every once in a while by a breaker because even if it's like a ten foot breaking wave that Impacting the side of the hull is insanely loud. It's crazy violent. It it's really just a scary situation. Now multiply that by like say three, so you've got thirty foot breaking waves. Now you're in a position where you catch the wrong wave and poof, it's gonna flip you over. Um, and yeah, he ends up going down below. Uh, gets in his bunk. I don't think he's even down there. Or no, he was. Maybe he was just going to get a sail bag or a sail tie in in any event, he went down below just for a couple of minutes and lo and behold, bang, The wave comes, flips him over, snaps his rigs off. And, uh, and then he's out of the race and he has to limp all the way back. And I think that in one of his memoirs or something, I think that he talks about that being the most miserable position, like mentally of, of just trying to get back, Back to land after knowing that, you know, your hopes and your dreams are dashed. Because he, he had that boat built, all that stuff. The amount of work that goes into some of these guys uh, building their own boats and then setting off on these trips. I ugh, Hats off to them. I mean, I just essentially went down to the corner store and bought one. Uh, I did have to put quite a bit of work into it, but nothing like building it from the keel up absolutely amazing uh but i think i'll probably end up trying to do one of those uh sailing stories about bill king's night in the south atlantic and uh and then maybe i don't know i i, I guess there was a story when he was trying to do it the second time because he really just wanted to accomplish the feat i have a feeling he was one of those guys that really wanted to i don't know and i don't mean this in a negative way but put another notch on his belt uh as far as uh adventures in life that are accomplished but in any event uh, i think he was south of australia and a, a great white started chewing on his rudder or something like that and then he ended up having to retire from the second time he did it so i don't even know if he he was ever able to make it around the world solo nonstop or not i'll have to i'll have to search into that oh man what do you use for weather forecasts uh weather forecasts are A little, uh, typically I'm using GRIB files and essentially all that is very small, uh, very small data so that you can download it through a sat phone uh, or on Iridium Go, but it just gets blown out on something called Z-GRIB and that gives you your your interactive, so to speak, weather chart. Um, I am going to be looking into Iridium Go and getting um, predict wind. So that when I go out to see, not only I can see it, but uh, people can see what my track is uh, for easier sort of tracking and stuff. And again, that's sort of in the same subject of of trying to be able to share these adventures to hopefully inspire people to to get up and get out and uh, take a little risk and try and get some of that reward. <laughs> uh, I've never. Yeah, I you know, I I. I guess way back in the early days, I did. Uh, we used to have an SSB uh, or an HF radio, and we used that for picking up weather forecasts sailing off the coast of Australia. But that got phased out pretty quickly when the sat phones became very, very reliable. And um, you know the the amount of electricity and power that you needed for an HF radio, and the know how as well, which I've always thought that if, if something is really technical and difficult and you master it, there's something kind of cool about that. Um, but you know, to install an HF radio on Sparrow today would just be a nightmare. And, uh, if I can just pick up a, a sat phone, although I've had a sat phone go pretty much dead on me. And then I think one of the troubles with that sort of equipment is that when those things die very much like an iPhone. There's no, there's no bringing that there's no resuscitating that back to life. Uh, that's definitely a risk for sure is that you're going to have electronic failure. Uh, just finished the audiobook. Thank you, Howard. I appreciate it. Hopefully you liked it. That was, that was probably one of the most difficult, uh, endurance feats of trying to share this story with people. Cause I know a lot of people, instead of, uh, it's, it's hard to find the time to sit down and open up the book and read it and everything. Um, but to be able to listen to it in the background while you're doing whatever else you have to do is uh, is quite nice. And I like it. And I know my brother Sven loves, absolutely loves audiobooks. His his library on Audible has to be like 400 or something. But his books are kind of, uh, I label them as scary books. And uh, they're all about real life situations like he had one book called Rabies, and it's basically the history and the possible future of rabies and uh, the gift of fear about just all these things. And then very, very concise political and geopolitical uh, books about all this sort of stuff that when you're out at sea and you're alone, they're not the things that you want to be pondering and thinking of unless you're absolutely in the mood to do that but I've I've turned on some of his audiobooks that he's given me five minutes in I'm like nope I'm not going down that rabbit hole today (laughs) Chris Hedges I don't need to listen to this I appreciate your efforts but I don't need to hear it right now while I'm in the Atlantic Ocean oh man too funny too funny well, I think I am going to try and uh, get a little, little sleep. Maybe I'm doubting that's going to happen because I still have a full coffee. Mm. Oh, there was one um, question that I got on one of the last videos, so I, I put together this this clip of going through sort of the the whole thing of going through this this pretty ugly little line squall. That ended up being multiple lines of squall in the doldrums uh, last year, and it's about a, like a seven-minute video or something like that. And in the beginning, you can see that I have full main, full staysail, and full uh, well not full jib, but like a working jib. So I, I've essentially I've got all as much canvas flying as possible in the background, and then I turn the camera, and you can see pretty ugly cloud situation going on behind me and, uh, or just upwind of me. And I had already been out at sea for like 40 something days at this point. So I'm very in tune with what's going on and everything. And I'm very, very quick with being able to drop sales. And the question essentially was, you know, in your video, I gotta ask, what the heck? Uh, why did you have like full mainsail and all those sails up? And da 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 da. And um, it was a really good question because it does look a little like doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, big squall coming in. You'd think you want to prepare early and all that. The only problem is, essentially, I was trying to, in that trip, get down to Cape Horn and trying to do it in a timely fashion. So one of the things you have to do is basically sail your way right up to the edge as close as you can until the winds come in from the squall. And then you start dousing, sort of, you, you try and douse it. And then 10 seconds later, the wind hits. Sometimes you get lucky with that. And sometimes you don't. It's, again, with tonight's topic, it's a risk that you have to take, but Uh, I've always found with these squalls typically, and, and that, that one in particular was that if, if I take too much sail down too quickly, then the boat loses all momentum and all speed. Um, you can see in the beginning that we're really not moving fast. We're just essentially, I'm trying to keep the boat heeled over so it doesn't start rolling to, to windward and doing that and then just slogging out with the sails and all that sort of stuff so i'm keeping that up just to keep a little power on but when i deal with the squall coming in essentially i am under the agreement with mother nature that uh and i've only learned this through experience with my boat so it's different with everybody's uh, but essentially if the wind comes on and it comes on real strong it takes only a few seconds for me to send Sparrow sailing directly downwind, ease that main way out and then drop whatever head sails that I have. And I'm pretty good up, even with the full main, I'm pretty good up to like 30, probably 35 knots uh, of wind because I'm going to start going really fast as well, which cuts the wind. And with just that main sail, it's not too bad. And typically, if it was blowing that hard, as soon as the other sails were all down, and those can be literally just doused. Like, I will just whoop, undo it, let it fall. It can drag in the sea for a few minutes. It does not matter to me. And so that just depowers that. And then I can go straight to the mainsail and put a reef in, even going downwind. It's uh, not great as far as the chafe on the sails, but it's uh, it does it does work. You don't have to be pointed into the wind for a little reefing session on the main. Uh, but that was why I had so much sail up. Essentially, it was to really use and abuse every bit of wind, um, and also just sort of being being in uh, being one with uh, the boat at that point, and really knowing what I was uh, capable of of handling. But it is it is again, it's a risk. Because you're looking at this cloud and you're looking at basically this wall of water and wind that's coming at you. And you're sort of like, boy, how bad is this one going to get? Because I have had instances where the wind literally, I, I I, saw, you could see the effect the wind was having as it was cascading straight down from the sky, hitting the ocean, spreading out. Um, and when that hit me, that was the only time I've ever like, really straight up had to just go bare poles as quickly as possible. Um, it was like a microburst. But I think the winds probably hit 70 knots. They went from probably blowing like 30 to 70. And luckily, it did not last more than like 10, 15 minutes. But that was wild. Oh, man. <clears throat> Does your chart plotter GPS work open ocean? Or only able to get a fix? Say a Garmin InReach device. No, all that stuff—that's uh, the beauty of the old GPS. It works all the way around the entire planet, uh, which mitigates the risk to stay on point. Um, all those GPS things—they—they basically—they're—they're they're built and made so that they can—they can pinpoint you wherever you want. And I don't really use a chart plotter when I'm out at sea. Uh, I like to sort of just go the traditional route, which is got my chart out there and, uh, get either, either I do my position with a sextant using the sun, or I'll just get it off the AIS, get my little Latin long, and then I'll throw it down. Cause when you're, when you're out there ocean sailing, the keeping track of where you are sort of thing. I typically am only doing that four times a day. So in my log book, every six hours, I'll log what the heck's going on. And, uh, And then once a day, I'll actually plot my position on the chart. Because you got to remember, the chart's this big. And it's of the entire Atlantic Ocean, let's say. I do it in pretty much those sections. And if I sat there and tried to chart it every three hours, you'd just see a continuous line (laughs) going. And pretty much, the uh, I'm sure I'd rip the paper right out. So, I don't know. Pretty crazy stuff. Well, I am going to... um, I'm going to call it right there and, uh, be, be out of here. And I don't know, I may try and do a little project or something, or, uh, maybe get to editing or something like that. But everybody that was watching, thank you. I appreciate it. And, uh, obviously, obviously big thanks to, uh, every, everybody who listens and, uh, comments and all that sort of stuff. So I really, really appreciate it. And I'm hoping to be able to do this more. I had them reset the router, so hopefully there weren't too many, uh, interruptions and uh everybody have a good night and that's uh okay so before i shut this down and then either go back to bed or start doing projects because now i've drink i've had quite a bit of coffee so i doubt i'm going to be able to fall back asleep wanted to just check in with the ggr the old golden globe race and uh see what they're doing and nobody well I guess I guess one or two of them are on the edge of getting out of the Bay of Biscay as we left them the other day. this is like day three or four of this uh of this race they they were getting hit by pretty much headwinds trying to get out of there, and it looks as though the headwinds have abated for the most part, but we have um I'm not sure there's one one guy I think a French competitor who is heading back, so somebody must have gotten busted up. I'll do a little research uh on that so that i can be a little more up to date as far as what's going on but uh, if one of them already dropped out then uh that is very typical i think for the round the world trip races and stuff um but as far as the weather goes it looks like they're getting westerlies now um so the ones that sort of went north and uh, and everything are probably doing all right they are going to run into a bit of a calm over by cape finisterre but it looks like they're getting some decent uh a little bit of decent wind but that's going to change quickly as that hurricane goes north it's pulling in wind from the southeast and the south so essentially these, these sailors are, are going to reach cape finisterre and then have more headwinds to deal with and as this week comes in it looks like that that uh, hurricane is is slowly disassembling itself, but it's also amassing its uh considerable energy and and weight into uh, a bunch of southerlies oh boy that doesn't look great and the sort of the oh man what's going on with that the the end the end little the last gasp of uh heavy heavy wind looks like it's gonna swing a little bit to the south and then make its way over but it's gonna dissipate so at least they're in lighter wind conditions um, hopefully the swell and everything isn't too bad but yeah they'll it's gonna be a few days before they get any semblance of a uh of a tailwind to uh, help them help them along the way oh it's a bummer and you know the the crazy thing about this is they have no idea what the weather's gonna do, because they're unless I don't know what the rules are as far as if there's another ship out there, if they can call them on the radio and ask them weather reports. Because back in the day with the first Golden Globe, they should have been able to, uh, they could, they could get information from other sailors and stuff. There weren't any rules about that, but it looks like yeah, they'll. They'll have about a week more of, of headwinds and then they're going to get flat becalmed. (laughs) Oh, geez. Oh, and then they've got another ugly system coming up. Boy, I can put myself right into that position and I know how frustrating and absolutely just devastating mentally it can be. But the nice part for these, these guys and gals is that, uh, they're in the the beginning of this trip, and so energy levels are high, um, enthusiasm is high, and excitement is high. And those are sort of the things and the tools that you need to really punch through some of this this crap that you got to deal with. I mean, I know, I know, I had it. I I luckily had on my trip around the world. I had a very nice start to the session, and then it got a little shaky. And then it just got downright insane as far as beating into the seas and the wind and trying my best to get as far east as I could. But yeah, it looks like it's going to be probably about a week before these these uh, sailors are able to really catch a break, so to speak, when it comes to the weather. And then after that, who knows, might be a bit of a slingshot ride down to the equator. So that's my GGR uh little update there and uh yeah i guess i know this was a bit of a modge podge sort of podcast but when you have the uh inspiration to get up and do one you just got to do it because uh i don't know i like i like putting out the content and uh i guess thanks for all the support all the comments all the love out there i appreciate it and uh I'm going to try and figure out what to do with the rest of my hours before uh, I go into work. So thanks for listening, as always. Until next time, take care.